what's your big why for being in business? And I struggled with that for a really long time because I thought it needs to be something like, you know, building schools in Africa or, or <laughs> providing clean water to the world or something, something along those lines. Cause that's what I was seeing when people talked about their big why. Right. And I was like, I want to pay the mortgage and stay home with my kid. Like, that's it. I don't know. And it wasn't until I was at a retreat at one point and I was talking about how proud I was of the fact that I was employing, you know, these four or five women that I had at the time who at the time were all moms staying at home. And I was so proud that I was able to give them, you know, essentially a full-time salary for part-time work. And they were able to build the life they wanted for themselves and their kids. And this person who was just sitting next to me at the, at the event was like, oh, maybe that's your big why. And I burst into tears. Welcome to the She Leads Business Show, where I shine the spotlight on female owners of growing small and medium-sized businesses. You're in the right place if you want to ditch the stress and firefighting, stop working too many hours, despite having team members, and never compete on price again. I'm Una Doyle, founder of creativeflow.tv. I'm a speaker, business strategist, and impact coach. Business owners hire me to help them to build a business they could sell tomorrow, but they probably don't want to because it's highly profitable. It's fun to run because they and their team are in creative flow and they get to make a bigger impact on the world. In every episode, myself and my guests share the strategies, stories and wisdom to help you to achieve this too. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, 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 and welcome to She Leads Business. And today I have the lovely Lacey Boggs with me. I'm so happy to have her here. Welcome, Lacey. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, Lacey is the owner and director of the Content Director Agency, and she specializes in helping small businesses to produce nurture content that has their audience saying, hell yes, before they ever make an offer. And she's been in business a while, so 10 years now. That's right. <laughs> it's like dog years. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Lacey, I always love to get to know the person behind the business. So can you tell me what was life like for you growing up? Sure. I had a very standard sort of lower middle class suburban upbringing in Texas. I grew up in North Texas near in a suburb of Dallas. And my mom was a sales rep. She sold housewares to big stores like, you know, Macy's and Walmart and stores like that. And my dad worked for the phone company for 35 years. <laughs> and I, I was just one of these weird nerdy kids, you know, never played sports, always had my head in a book, loved English, loved writing. And from a very early age, I was writing stories and telling stories and and wanting to be doing that as a career or, or, you know, thinking that that might be what I wanted to do when I grew up. And, and it is what you're doing now that you've grown up. <laughs> if, if you yeah, consider you've grown up. <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't feel that grown up. Yeah. It was a long and winding road to get here for sure. But I, I definitely eventually came back around to, to writing. I, I told, I had an eighth grade English teacher whom I adored. And I told her that I wanted to be a writer when I grew up. And she said, oh, that's great, Lacey. I'm sure you can do that. But it's such a hard field to break into. Maybe you should have something to fall back on. And um, being an impressionable, whatever, how, how old are you in eighth grade, 13, 14 year old? 
I said, oh, okay, yes, that's what I need to do. I need to have something to fall back on. And so as I went into high school, they had a program for video and television in the high school. And so I thought, oh, I can do, I can do news. Maybe I'll be a newscaster. And I got into video and television and I really enjoyed it and ended up going to film school because apparently I did not think that breaking into film would be hard as opposed to becoming a writer. But anyway, I... (laughs) I did end up getting my bachelor's degree in in moving image arts, which is the artsy fartsy way to say film school, but Hollywood and I did not really get along. And so after I had my quarter life crisis, realizing I wasn't going to be the next Sophia Cope, I sort of went back to writing and I got a job with a PR agency for a little while. And then I was the editor of some travel magazines for a little while. And then I became the food editor of a hyper-local magazine here in Boulder County, Colorado. Fantastic. I used to work in PR myself, actually. Did you? Yeah. I I was in PR for the fine jewelry industry, which is an entirely like different world, universe. They think mm. in very different ways <laughs> than the rest of humanity. <laughs> that sounds way more glamorous than the PR we did, which was for things like industrial plastic pipes and caravan ah. manufacturers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, my job, I was a little woman on the totem pole, so to speak. And so my job was to, you know, arrange everything. And I can remember trying to get security for photo shoots where we would have, you know, $9 million worth of diamonds on set. It was a very strange life when I was getting paid twelve seventy-five an hour, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. Right? <laughs> It's not often I'm lost for words. (laughs) Yeah, it was a very odd, odd life to live. But, you know, now it's just one chapter in my eventual memoirs. (laughs) Absolutely. What what was your biggest challenge as a child? Mm, I'm not not very good at social situations, I think, is my biggest challenge. I would not say I'm antisocial, but like, especially as a young child, I just didn't make friends very easily, didn't get along with other kids. It's not that like we, we didn't fight or anything. I was just off in my own little world and there was nobody else in there. So my parents really, my mother in particular, very concerned about me. And it wasn't actually until I was quite a bit older and got into a gifted and talented program in the school that I started making friends and actually having people that I felt like I could communicate with. <laughs> so I think probably like being extremely introverted, not knowing how to make friends, that was probably my biggest challenge as a kid. Hmm. I, I had it the other way around. My whole family was, was in, well, is introverted. And then there's me. <laughs> <laughs> the pink sheep of the family. <laughs> yeah, the pink sheep. I love it. So yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? How I think... Everybody always thinks that normal is what they know. Mm. Yet there isn't really any normal because what's normal for you is different to what's normal for me, to, you know, to you listening. Like we all have our own version of normal. Right. And mine just happened to be very introverted and like living in my head, living in my imaginary world all the time. Well, it's interesting, even, even as an extrovert, actually, I remember being around at a friend's house as a child. And then probably for like the third or fourth time going, Una, Una, Una. And like me going, what? Because I was reading one of their books. Mm, 
Yes. Yes. I was one of the kids that got in trouble for reading too much. Come be with the family, come be social. But no, these people are more real to me. The ones in the book. (laughs) I wonder how many young children these days would be accused of reading too much. Yeah, I don't know. My my daughter reads a lot. And sometimes it's funny because she reads a lot on her devices because she reads graphic novels from the library on mm. her device. But so it looks like she's on her iPad. I mean, she is on her iPad all the time, but I'm, I've got the parental controls. So I know what she's doing. <laughs> Fantastic. These things shape us though as well. So how do you feel mm. that the challenge in making friends and actually probably even more so your mother's concern about it because it sounds to me like you weren't really that bothered no I wasn't and yeah I think she was just worried that I you know every every mother wants their kid to to be happy and I think she was worried that if I didn't learn how to make friends I would not you know be happy and successful in the long run I I think I'm much more social now than I ever was. And I have to put this on, you know, like to come on a podcast or to do marketing or whatever. I have to be able to turn on my sort of extroverted self, at least for the duration of the interview. And, and then I think one of the things that, that probably uh, helped me the most was when somebody explained it to me that introverts recharge and get energy by being alone and extroverts recharge and get energy by being with others. And I thought, ah, That explains it. It explains why I can be on, so to speak. (laughs) But then I need to like, I have no more calls scheduled after this because I need to be quiet and by myself. (laughs) Exactly. So I do the personality profiling with the Ignition Traveler profiles. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of part creative, part extrovert. And my husband is the most introverted on the Mm. the profiles. Mm -hmm. And it was only when we first lived together I turned to him one day and I said, you you really find it hard to leave the house sometimes, don't you? And he was like, well, yeah, as if, well, <laughs> duh. <laughs> Doesn't everybody? Yeah, <laughs> it was really interesting. So I knew that about introverts, that they recharge internally on their own. Yet being presented with it in a living situation mm. was like, you know, so so we, we, we just structure things like that. So he's quite a he's a sociable introvert. So I can take him anywhere. Mm-hmm. He won't be you know, he's not awkward around people or anything like that. And he enjoys being in other people's company, but just not for too long. Mm. So, you know, no more than once a weekend and not every weekend. You know, so yeah. th- so that would be for him. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I would probably be like, yeah, I can go out and do things five weekends in a row. And then I, then I go, do you know, what? I'd like I'd like just a weekend where I don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're much more homebodies. I married an introvert and we have a child who's an introvert. So <laughs> it's like there are certainly times when it's three of us in three different corners of the house. I suppose a good thing if with you all being similar is that nobody is being judged for being wrong I'm doing quote marks by the way yeah yeah and I I think that's one of the challenges when people have got different personalities different strengths they can feel well you know things would be so much better for you if you were just like me right Right. that's how that's how people often think and you know that can be parents it can be bosses you know it can be partners so business partners as well as as well as you know romantic partners Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's lots in that for sure. So you went um, 
you know, you were saying that you kind of did these different roles, you know, from PR and, and all those. So what was it that that prompted you to set up your business? And and is the content direction agency the like, is that what you set up or did it evolve into that? So uh, answer the first question first. <laughs> sure. It definitely evolved. Yeah. So um, I was working as the food editor of the magazine and I got pregnant and while being a food writer is nice work, if you can get it, like being paid to eat and have opinions is not a bad deal. We were such a small operation that I was working 60 plus hours every week, had to be there till 3am on deadline every month and was not getting paid very much money to do so. And so once we got pregnant, you know, we were doing the math and more than half of my salary would have gone to childcare, especially for an infant. It's very expensive. So I was like, okay, so for half salary, I'm going to spend 60 hours a week away from my baby. This sounds terrible. (laughs) So I ended up leaving that job and I tried freelancing for a while. So I kept my column at the magazine and did a few other things where I was freelancing. And I, of course, I started a food blog because it was 2011 and that's what everybody did in 2011. So that was my first business, again, air quotes, because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I didn't really understand the business model of food blogging. Um, It's very much a numbers game, right? It's you have to have so many eyeballs on your work at any given time. So, you know, I I did a lot of things right. I was able to grow my email list to over a thousand people in less than a year. I got invited to blog for one of Martha Stewart's properties, you know, all kinds of good things. And I think I made about $5,000 that first year, like total. I lovingly call that my four figure year, you know, and at the end of that year, my husband, you know, took me aside and he said, you know, I love that you're staying home with our daughter. I love that you're working from home and maybe could you earn a little more money? (laughs) And I said, yes, I have a new idea. And so that second year was when, um, I decided I I was like, well, I'm pretty good at this whole blogging thing. Maybe other people would pay me to blog for them. And it turned out that was a much better niche for me. (laughs) So the business was originally just called Ghost Blogger. There wasn't even a picture of me on the website. I bought a $30 stock illustration (laughs) of a businesswoman and put it on the homepage. And I did that for a couple of years and it worked out pretty well at first because, you know, I, I still had a very young child. I only wanted to work about 20 hours a week. I didn't want to, you know, do a whole, whole lot more than that. And so once I started to get to the point where I had more work than I could comfortably handle in that amount of time, I just reached out to a friend and said, would you be interested in, in working under me, you know, doing this as a contractor, subcontracting, that's the word I was looking for. And (laughs) she said, yes. And that's sort of how the agency was born. And so around the same time, one of my clients, Sarah Ashman is a brand strategist. And so uh, she gave me sort of the friends and family deal and helped me create a brand for the content direction agency. And she was the one who convinced me that it was an agency <laughs> that it would be, we would grow into it. And that's how that happened. Well, I, I love your brand. Thank you. <laughs> you got to go and check out her website. Now, is this laceybogs.com? Yeah, it, it was perfect for me because it's, it's very vintage style in a kind yeah. of femme fatale noir 
field. Yeah, you can see my my love of Golden Age Hollywood in the hairstyles. Absolutely. I do love noir movies very much. <laughs> I, I definitely love the fashion in them. Yes, yes. Yeah, we've been watching Mrs. Maisel, mm. the latest season that's come out. And I, I sometimes find it a bit hard to keep a track of what's going because I'm just like... <gasps> Look at that dress. That <laughs> how, did I, ooh, how did I put that together? <laughs> yeah. What was your biggest challenge then in scaling your agency? So, you know, there's now typically kind of five or six of you working mm-hmm. at any one time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right now I've got four writers under me and I still do a little of the writing myself here and there. And what was the biggest challenge in scaling? Really, I think what happened for me is that I guess this would be around 2016 or so. I drank the Kool-Aid that everybody else was drinking. And really, if you were around on the Internet at that point, everybody was saying you have to have a course in order to scale. That's the only that's the best way. I know. (laughs) And so I had developed a course and. I decided that that was going to be my my goal for that year was to get a larger percentage of my income from products instead of from done for you services. So I had a coach at the time and she said, okay, if you want to do this, you know, we ran the numbers and she said, you're going to need to triple your list to make this work. So I had about 1800 ish people on my list at the time. And in the court, over the course of about five, five, six months, I tripled it. I had over 6,000 people on my list and I did it by offering a lot of freebies, right? So I offered almost every blog post I wrote for a year had a content upgrade or, you know, a little download that went with it behind a pay, not a paywall behind a a email opt-in wall. And so it worked like gangbusters worked really, really well. I did a lot of webinars on top of that and, and those sorts of things. And what happened was I, I did at the end of that year, a big launch. I think I had a goal of like 50 people into my course at that point, big launch, the whole nine yards, the the big event, open cart, a bazillion emails, you know, all the things I knew how to do because I'm a copywriter. So (laughs) I knew how to do all that stuff. And by the time of the cart closed, I think I made 45 sales and I was livid. I was ready to burn it all down. I was like, didn't meet my goal. Everything sucks. As you might be able to tell, I have a problem with binary thinking. (laughs) (laughs) If I didn't hit that 50, clearly I had failed. Right. And then what really happened was that I discovered, oh, this is very stressful for me. And I don't like launching when it's my own stuff. Like this very, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. I think I'll go back to focusing on selling done for you services. And so that next year, early on the year, I surveyed my lists and said, how many of you would like me to do this for you? Oh, Una, it was bad. It was 1%. 1% of the people I polled said they were interested in a done for you package. So what I realized was that I had built a big giant list of people who didn't actually want to buy what I wanted to sell. And so that was a long way of saying that my, my biggest challenge in scaling the agency has always been trying to find that very repeatable, very consistent way of generating leads for the high ticket done for you sales that I want to do. Right. And like, I know how to grow an email list. I know how to do all these things because I'm a marketer. That's what we do. And the types of people that want the done for you service that I want to sell 
they don't give a rip about my free worksheet or about attending a webinar or about, right? So all the things that work for a lower ticket product don't work the same way for a higher ticket product. And so I feel like I had to do a lot of trial and error to learn that on my own. Like, oh, Mm. (laughs) that doesn't work exactly the same way. It's so interesting because I'm a big fan. I mean, I've worked with so many service-based businesses and I'm a big fan of productizing their services. Mm-hmm. But whenever they want to actually have an actual product, like a course, I have to sit down with them and say, this is a different business model. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. It's not just let's look at the numbers, which is great that your coach did that. It's also what strategies are you going to use to get the right people? And also, are these in flow for you? You know, sometimes it's just that a business model isn't in flow for people, either in terms of how they attract and convert the clients, sometimes also in terms of delivery as well. And so I think there's so much out there in terms of, in fact, I just spoke to someone today who was talking about scaling their business by implementing a course. And so we're going to be talking about that further because (laughs) right now, I think they think, this is the way for me to scale my sales. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, not necessarily. It's, it's not that I'm anti-course. Mm-mm. I'm just anti the Kool-Aid about courses. Right, right. Well, and I think yeah. you can tell me if you see this too, but I'm seeing a lot of just anecdotal evidence lately that a lot of people are tired of courses. They feel like they mm. have 15 or 20 in their, you know, in their inbox or on their Google Drive or wherever. Yep that they didn't finish or that they never feel like they implemented mm-hmm. all the way or whatever it might be. And they're just like, I'm just done. I just want somebody to do it for me. Where I'm always starting with people is, well, what's the impact that you want to make? So what's the impact you want to make for yourself and your family and like maybe your local community? What's the impact you want to make on your clients? And for many people as well that I'm working with, what's the bigger impact that you want to make? in terms of causes, communities, the world. And the differentiation, the value that we deliver is so often when we really get to know those clients well enough and really understand them. And then we're able to innovate to actually be able to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time, there are people who courses will really work for. And, you know, you know, I've had benefit from courses. I, I definitely in the past used to be a self-help junkie, you know, in all kinds of ways. I would buy sure. books. I would go to seminars. I go to workshops. I, mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I've invested a lot of money in my personal and professional development. Nowadays, I I won't really buy a, a course. There's, there's just one exception, actually, to that. But I won't buy courses from anybody else and I only buy them from this one person because the content is just so amazing but I always want to have some kind of interaction Mm, and mm -hmm. if I don't have that interaction I'm not interested because I know it's not going to work very well for me Mm -hmm. I can learn from just reading and things but will I do that as consistently if I'm not being coached through it? Sure. You know, sure. if I don't have the opportunity to ask questions, if I don't have events to turn up to that are in my calendar. Mm-hmm. Are you going to make time yeah. to do it? Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think I think that's really important. And that's why even at my 
entry so I have an entry level membership mm-hmm. and even in that I do include monthly office hours where people can take what they've been learning turn up on a call and get some input and feedback on it. I just couldn't bear to leave people on their own. <laughs> I think especially for so many of my clients are not necessarily the kind of people who will just kind of plow through something. My mm-hmm. husband's like that. Like, you know, years ago he learned video editing mm. and he literally would get up in the morning before he went to work and he would sit down and he would work his way through the book and he would do all the exercises Imagine Mm -hmm. doing all the exercises in a book. (laughs) Like most people buy a book and they don't even read it. I mean, I I read them. I'll read all the books. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I think it's really, I think that's really important. I think it's very valuable lessons, you know, to be sharing and discussing about. And, And I also want to make clear to people as well that there are some people that the course model is absolutely brilliant for. Sure. And they love it. They love doing it. They love mm-hmm. getting people into it. And, you know, the way it works for them is just fantastic. It is horses for courses. I do think it's partly about personality and natural strengths. I think it's also about stage of business and mm. what you're selling. You know, it's like there's one person I can think of who does very well with courses and memberships, but they're all low ticket. Mm. You know, and they've built up a big email list, they've built up a big community and they love doing that. And that, you know, really lights their fire. So that's fantastic. For a lot of creatives, though, it's not necessarily the right route. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. yeah, yes, indeed. What do you feel has been your biggest success so far? I struggled for a long time because, you know, all the, all the coaches and things they want to know, they want you to start with your big why, right? What's your big why for being in business? And I struggled with that for a really long time because I thought it needs to be something like, you know, building schools in Africa or, or <laughs> providing clean water to the world or something, something along those lines. Cause that's what I was seeing when people talked about their big why. Right. And I was like, I want to pay the mortgage and stay home with my kid. Like, that's it. I don't know. You know, it's not very, and it wasn't until I was at a retreat at one point And I was talking about how proud I was of the fact that I was employing, you know, these four or five women that I had at the time who at the time were all moms staying at home and that I was giving them, I was so proud that I was able to give them, you know, essentially a full-time salary for part-time work. And they were able to build the life they wanted for themselves and their kids. And this person who was just sitting next to me at the, at the event was like, Oh, maybe that's your big why. And I burst into tears. And I was like, that was like the moment I was like, Oh, maybe that is it. So I think the big, my, biggest success. The thing I'm most proud of is that, you know, this business has always paid me. It's always put food on the table and helped pay the mortgage here at home. But I have also given this, these opportunities to the women who work with me and for me and women and non-binary people happen to be who has made up my crew for the last 10 years. And they're not all moms, but most of them are. And like that, I feel like is a really big success that this business has not only supported me, but these other people who want to have, they want to make a life and not just work to live. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when I was in working in corporate, I only had like one corporate gig in my whole life. It was like, people were working to live, you know, paycheck to paycheck, got to go to work so I can get to the weekend. So I can go back to work and 
I just didn't want that. And so the fact that I've been able to build this for myself and these other people who work for me, that I would say is my biggest success. Even if we're not making a million dollars a year, we're doing well. We're doing really well. And I'm proud of that. You are. I mean, you're, you're doing better than most small business owners. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that they, they just don't break through certain income marks and you've done that. And, you know, if you wanted to, I'm sure you could take that to, to the next level as well. Yeah. And it's always just been like, what am I really motivated to do? <laughs> I'm actually motivated to have more free time than to make more money. That's, that's just what it's been for the past few years, especially because I have a young kid and it's like, she's not going to be five, seven, 10 years old forever. I want to be there for that. It's interesting. I think there's always the perception that to earn more money, you need to work more hours. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so you got you got the whole hustle culture. It was really interesting. I was reading, I was watching a YouTube video with somebody who who is a, a billionaire the other day. They were saying, well, this whole thing about work-life balance, I just love working. Right. So I want to work. <laughs> and so for them, it was like, well, it's not that I have to work or I think I should work. I just enjoy mm-hmm. working. And I, you know, I when I made all this money and sold companies and you know, I didn't work for a year and I was miserable. Right. And okay, so, you know, I can totally get that. I I don't believe this person has any children. Um, But yeah, it's I think that probably does make a difference. But but then there's also the other people who I see that, you know, they've create they've structured their business in such a way to to allow them to have a team that is Mm -hmm. delivering and that doesn't require high maintenance because they've got the right people in the Mm -hmm. right roles, doing the right thing at the right time. Everyone has clarity. They've got people who are empowered and who know they're empowered and want to be empowered. And I, I think, you know, doing that really does allow you to have that seven figure business without having to kill yourself in the process. A hundred percent. Yeah. Definitely. What's next for you? I mean, we, we had a bit of a conversation about, you know, where, you know, where most of your business comes from right now. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who will resonate with this is that, you know, the bulk of your business is comes from referrals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you did to try and rectify that. It feels like I've tried just about everything, but I, I hesitate to say I've tried everything because I know that's not true, but I've definitely tried lots of different things just to tick a few off. Like I hired a company to help me prospect on LinkedIn. That did not go so well because their software couldn't differentiate between uh, a coach, like the, the, a business coach or a sales coach or something like that, and LM people who call themselves coaches. So I was getting all these leads for MLM businesses, which just aren't a great fit for what we do. I tried sending out both digital and physical newsletters to my referral partners, just as a like, hey, remember me, I'm cool. And you should send more business my way kind of reminder. I've done paid networking groups, JV webinars, you know, joint ventures, swapping webinars or swapping lead magnets, things like that. And most recently last year, or actually, I guess it was like 2020 into 2021, we tried a Facebook ads campaign and I worked with a company that had had really great success running 
Facebook ads for high ticket service providers. So it was a good fit that way. To be fair, it worked. Like we definitely saw a return on our investment. We made money. We got clients, but what I noticed for time was that our, our standard retainer, we asked for a six month commitment and of the, I don't remember how many, five to seven clients that came in from Facebook ads, zero lasted out their entire six month retainer for various reasons. What was weird was like, it was all different kinds of reasons. It wasn't like, oh, Lacey, you suck. We hate you or anything like that. A lot of it, like one woman had a divorce and had to like restructure her business. Another woman got totally freaked out by the fact that we were getting results. Like she, she panicked because people were actually paying attention and wanted to get out of it. Another guy never could get us the information we needed to write his copy. There were just all these different reasons. And what it, what it came down to, what I discovered was that there was some disconnect between the people who were clicking on the ad even going through an application and sales process with me, they weren't a great fit and they weren't, we weren't able to provide them with the service they needed, or they weren't interested or, or weren't the right fit for the service we could provide. It's so interesting how that happens. And you must've been so excited when this ad campaign was working and, yes. oh, this is fantastic. We've got new clients that are on retainers. <laughs> I can put money in this. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can count on this money coming in. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. And and then it stops coming in. Mm-hmm. Well, I turned it off because at some point I figured out I turned the ads off because I figured out that the people who were coming in were not it was causing more stress that they were churning out so quickly. Like we're not used to that in my business. I have clients who've been with me for eight years, you know, like we have very long-term relationships with our clients. And so having that kind of churn was weird and stressful. And I was like, clearly these are not our people. (laughs) I shared with you some resources. What did you get from those that you think might explain what went wrong and what to do about it? It wasn't the right message to the right audience was probably my biggest suspicion, but I I would kind of love to hear your diagnosis. (laughs) Obviously, without seeing the ads themselves. Sure, sure. Yeah, I I can't obviously be 100% certain, but no, totally understand. (laughs) One of the concepts in the, the longer video that I sent was about your internal reality that you experience and that your clients experience. And that external perception, which is a messaging mm-hmm. thing, but I think it's a, it's a nice yeah. container to put it in to help to help people understand. Um, and I see this a lot where people go like, oh, I'm the best kept secret or their clients are telling them, you know, oh, you're my best kept secret or I can't understand why you don't have more clients. You're so great. We love what you do. And th- there's often, as you said, you use the word disconnect. And so I think part of that is about really understanding, well, what is it that is differentiating you from other other mm. providers, you know, who do content, who, who do the blogging, etc. And what really differentiates you around that? So that market dominating position, because I think you've got a you've got a great brand. I think it's very memorable. I think it's very appealing, which is good because some people will really resonate with it and other people won't. And and that's what you want. But a but a brand is not while it has some positioning inherent in it, it's not a market dominating position, you know, which is answering mm. the question, you know, what is it that you know that you want that you don't yet have, and what is it that you don't want? that you have right now 
So, you know, those two questions are are really key. And so if you're not answering those questions in what you're putting across, people don't always see the value. There was kind of like obviously enough going on there. I think, you know, your experience, the, the you know, the stuff that you put out there, you know, it's really high quality. You know, I can tell that, you know, you, you probably give a great delivery to your clients, but there must have been so, something not quite there with that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting when I heard that part of the video, I actually, my mind immediately went to like where their internal message was, because for a couple of those people in particular, I realized now they really weren't ready for our service. Mm. You know, their business wasn't at a point where they were really ready. And that's on me. I should have qualified them better or differently, but like they were looking for, they didn't want to do the marketing which is what I was promising, right? Like we'll do it for you, but they actually didn't have the solid business foundation already set up so that we could succeed. Well, you know, like I actually have a, an email in my, in my like nurture warmup sequence that says, you know, blogging can't save your business. And I really try to get that across to people because there've been a few sad cases in my 10 years where somebody came in and was like, oh, you're going to fix everything because you can do this marketing activity for me. Well, that's not actually really true. And, you know, looking back on it, it was on me. I should have qualified them differently, but it was something that's what came to me in that part of when I was listening to you say those things, because I was like, ah, actually their internal idea of what they were doing was different than what was actually happening or what I I thought it was. Right. And so, you know, that message of blogging can't save your business is kind of high level. Mm. And I think this is what I see a lot when people are doing marketing and it's, it's not their fault. It's because, you know, this is how we've been taught. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've probably said a few times regular listeners will be like, yeah, here she goes again. <laughs> Is that, so, you know, the the what we're taught about business and marketing, you know, I've done sales qualifications, marketing qualifications, got a business degree. Everything's aimed at large corporates. Yes. It's not aimed at the small business owner. They're able to they've got the, the finances, the resources to be able to blanket their message around. So that everybody knows who Coca-Cola is and who Pepsi is and they can focus on brand awareness like, you know, brand awareness Mm -hmm. doesn't put money in your pocket when you're a small business. Right. right? So that's right. It absolutely doesn't. So 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 I think what might be really helpful then is to to look at, well, what are the specific criteria that you need these people to have and spell that out? So they Mm -hmm. need to be an established business with X revenues or having been trading X amount of time or X amount of clients that they that they have a a working sales process. That they're already selling things. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I find it amazing how many businesses don't have these things in place. Mm -hmm. You can bring people to their door, but then they have to be able to convert them. Yes. And in order to do that, they one, they ought to be good at what they're doing. Number two, and they, and, and they need to be able to demonstrate it. Number two, they need to have a compelling offer. Mm-hmm. So are they differentiated in the marketplace or are you going to bring people to their door and they kind of go, eh, yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, apples to apples. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other thing as well that you mentioned 
is about their mindset. Do they actually have a growth mindset? Like, you know, if you were to 10 times the number of prospects that they got, could they handle that? You know, are they able to handle that capacity? What would that do for them? And I find a lot of the time in business and marketing, and it's funny because I'm not a detailed person (laughs) by nature, but I think because of so many mistakes that I've made in the past, I can see a lot of the time specificity is just so, so powerful. So important. I say that a lot as a copywriter. And right now, for example, I'm a copy coach in somebody else's program and they're all very new business owners in that program. And I can't tell you how many times I've said, okay, let's, this is fluffy language. It doesn't actually tell me what you're doing or what you're selling or what the result is. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I've had so many people say to me, you know, when I have kind of, you know, meetings with them, they're like going, do you know, I've spoken to so many other coaches, but you're the first one. I actually understand what you do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, you know, that's not to blow my own trumpet. It's just because people somehow pick up, oh, I I can, you know, have this fluffy language and, and be floating along in the clouds and, oh, everything's wonderful. And, you know, people mm-hmm. are going, okay, but do you even understand my problem? Do. Have you identified what it is, <laughs> let alone do I trust you to solve it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been hard for me. It's been a lesson I had to learn over the years because I'm very much a people pleaser. So if somebody comes to me and they're like, can you do X? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Sure. Of course I can. And, and it's, it's been something I've had to learn a lesson over time is that, no, we really need to focus on what we're best at, where our zone of genius is, you know, can I write a billboard for you? Sure. I could, but is that really where my zone of genius is? No, not necessarily. So for example, we don't really write Facebook ads. That's not where we're trained. That's not where our zone of genius is we're really good at writing content that you need all the time, blog posts, emails, things like that, that you need repetitively over and over and over again. You need to keep the lights on. You need to keep the coffers full. That's where our, that's where our sweet spot is. And so that's what I've, you know, finally, after many years gotten to the point where I'm like, no, I can say, this is what we do (laughs) specifically. Great. And then what is now about is like really hitting those hot buttons. Okay, so those Mm -hmm. hot buttons are the the things that are like the, well, what's the problem I have? I don't want, (laughs) what is it that I want that I don't yet have? Mm -hmm. For some people, it's time. They've grown their business. A CEO, the, the business owner has grown to a point where it's no longer a good use of their time to spend three, four hours a week writing blog posts and emails, right? There's, there's much more beneficial tasks they could be doing. For others, they get to a point where they feel like they've said it all and there's nothing left to say, which is never true. We can always find more things to say or different ways to say it. And so they want to hand it off to somebody else. And so, and then the third sort of ideal person is the person who's like, I'm ready to give this up, but I, I want it to still sound like me. I'm afraid to give it to just any old copywriter because it'll sound like somebody else. And I've been doing this for so long. And we can take on their voice. That's what I specifically hire my writers to be able to do so that if you don't choose to let anybody know that you've hired us, nobody needs to know. Not even your mom can tell the difference because we want to write in the brand voice and keep it consistent, which I think is very, very important. 
those are some really good reasons that I know in my conversations with other copywriters. I've heard all all those things before. Mm -hmm. I think there's probably another level that you can go. Yeah, I mean, we we become mini experts in our in our clients businesses so when we work with them over the time when we develop that long-term relationship not only can we be in their voice but we we learn all the stories we learn the methodology we learn the research we learn all the things so that we can write these pieces not just convincingly but well right so we really do become mini experts that's what i always say mini experts in their business so that we can write authoritatively and take that off their shoulders. And, and there's a process through which we do this, you know, by interviewing, by interviewing the thought leader, we can make their thought leadership happen without them having to do it. Have you used that phrase? And I don't know that I've used that specifically, but I yeah, like that. we do talk about getting your thought leadership out there. Yeah. I like that. I think there's, you've really got to set yourself apart from overseas people lower cost of living and they're you know they're charging pennies compared to yeah. to what, what you'll be charging your clients there's a lot of differentiation that needs to go on with that because so many people be like oh okay it's ongoing content and okay well these other people say that they can make it sound like us because that I mean that's what every copywriter says sure. it's going to sound like you it's not true but sure yes they do say that absolutely <laughs> You see, this is where the internal reality and external perception matters. You know, some mm-hmm. some providers have a really poor internal reality, but a very good mm-hmm. external perception. <laughs> so you'll know because you probably get some of those those people's clients coming to you and going, oh, so and so did a terrible job. Yes, right. I think also, you know, part of what we talk about is the fact that like I've definitely written about, you kind of get what you pay for when it comes to content writing. Like the, you, you can certainly outsource it to a content farm and they can put words on a page, but it's not necessarily going to get results. It's not going to drive traffic. It's not going to help people overcome objections or all the different things that content can do. So that's the other half of it, I guess, for us is everything we do is strategic. It's not just let's throw a blog out there and see what sticks. It's like, we're, no, we're actually choosing the topics on purpose at this time to help support whatever your goals are. Right. And so I, I think there's probably a lot of things that you do that you don't say you do. <laughs> sure. And I think a lot of it is that we, we always, I, I talk about it in stages, you know, we start with a, a strategy session with me. And so that's, that's a prerequisite before we will write for you. You have to get the strategy done. So we create the content calendar and that's where we do all the, the goodies with getting the right posts at the right time, the right message at the right time. And then we assign you a writer and we actually do the writing for you. So that's kind of how it works in those, in those pieces. Yeah, totally. That, that, that really makes sense because I think a lot of people just dive into, well, let's get a bit of information and then we'll write some stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're missing the strategy and they're not getting the depth. Yeah, it's not as helpful. Of knowledge <laughs> as well. So so I think there's definitely some things there. You know, there's there's a whole process of kind of going through different elements of, mm-hmm. you know, putting together a market dominating position and really diving into like I know I know because of what you do that you'll understand about the the kind of logical reasons and the emotional reasons and and all of that. I think I think there's an, a real opportunity there to to dive into that. Mm-hmm. 
I would also really spend some time looking at the psychographic profile of your ideal client. Yeah. You know, look at mm-hmm. look at your top clients, the ones that have been with you for eight years that you love working with and who, you know, what it what are their characteristics, you know, that make them somebody that you you know that you would want to be attracting more of those people and also do the converse Mm -hmm. you know who are the people that weren't a good fit that didn't work great so what was different about them what do you not want and and I would actually you know definitely make that something that's within you in terms of that being an internal boundary that you make a decision Mm. if if they don't meet these criteria we don't work with them there's yeah. something very powerful in just actually deciding. And it's often, it can be a good thing to communicate as well. So that can also form part of your marketing messages. It doesn't have to. It's funny, there's just something about having that that just gives off a vibe that puts off. <laughs> It'll come through. <laughs> It'll come through in the writing and the messaging, even if you don't spell it out. So, but sure. sometimes it's good to spell it out as well. And I think... Yeah those things you know we were talking about the mindset of the the growth but it's not just that you know you were talking about the chap who you know he wasn't giving you the material so yeah Mm -hmm. so I got an exercise that I do with clients where we'll go through all of those things and different aspects of well how do they treat you how do they behave you know all of those kinds of questions and so it's a kind of deeper dive again on your ideal client. We've started doing that a little bit. I think you're completely right because I've added a section to my work with me page that, that talks about who we love to work with. And one of the things I added was you're looking for a partner. You don't want to micromanage us because that's how we work best Mm. is where you say, okay, go do this. And we do it. And then you say yes or no when it's done, but you're not there nitpicking every comma and changing the, you know, every language, just because you don't like the word here, you know, like it, it's much better when it's like, I'm going to give you this job holistically. What you were talking about earlier, when you can have a team that you trust to get the job right. done, when we can be that team for you, that's when we do our best work. And so we've, I've added a little section in my website to that point. <laughs> right. And I would, I would go back and just expand on that a bit. And kind of just have that be known internally, internally yeah. as well. I think that can really that can really help. So how do you feel about doing another campaign, another Facebook ads campaign, but changing some of these things? I think I would need to have a stronger pre-qualification process. So even if I ran the same ad just to see what we could get out of it, because I knew it got leads, I would have a stronger pre-qualification process on the back end to make sure they were the right fit before we said yes. And then if it, if it wasn't bringing in the right people, then I can look at the messaging on the front end and say, okay, (laughs) what do we need to change up out front? That's so that it will attract the right people. Something else to maybe consider is to actually have a kind of warming up ads Mm. that actually communicate. Okay. (laughs) And were they communicating your values, philosophies, those kinds of things? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a variety. The, the Facebook ads consultants mm-hmm. we hired had had a plan, you know, and so there was a variety. There was one that was about my values. There was one that was just a funny meme because it was in line with our brand, and then a few others. I can't remember what they were, but they were. I think there were like four or five that were going out just as warming up ads. Yeah, I think it's these days, particularly with so much competition, 
in the online advertising world. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, that's really important. I, I think one of the other things is like, are you making people jump through any hoops? Mm. So they went straight to a landing page that had a book of call and there was a questionnaire attached to the book of call okay. page. So when I saw their answers, I could cancel if I felt like they weren't a good fit, but that was the only hoop, so to speak, that they had to jump through was filling out the questionnaire associate when they booked a call. Okay. I would maybe look at introducing something else for them to do. So maybe they have to watch a video or, or read something. Mm-hmm. And when they come to the, come onto the call, the first thing, you know, after hello and the pleasantries and that say, Hey, can I just check that you did this? And if they haven't done it, that's warning flag number one. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. It's interesting like when you really dive into all the different steps involved in a sales process, you know, it's, it's got to be designed to, you know, to educate them and to demonstrate the value that you can really deliver. But it's also a way for you to check, is this, are these a good fit with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. What's been most significant in terms of what we've talked about here today for you? What's really sticking with me is about understanding the psychographics of the people that we do love to work with and finding what those, what those through lines are, because, you know, just off the top of my head, they're all very different. Right. But I know that there will be similarities and through lines that we can, we can find and and get even clearer on who those people are. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the Pareto principle, the 80, 20 rule. What's the 20% of your client base that you want to replicate and make the 80% because not only will that be more enjoyable, and sustainable, it'll also be way more profitable as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the bloke who's been with us for eight years, I mean, he's paid us well over six figures at this point. So if I could have more of him, I would be a happy camper. Exactly, sure. exactly. Lacey, what would be one mistake that you see people making when they're in their copywriting? Well, fluffy language that we already talked about, that's a biggie. You need to get really clear on talking about your results and what happened, you know, what, what you actually are doing for people and who it's for. But I think also maybe more pertinent to what I do and, and that sort of thing is that people tend to outsource without having the fundamentals in place first. And so, for example, for what I do, you need to have a brand voice guide. You need to have kind of an idea of what your brand voice is or have hire a copywriter that can help you do that. Um, you need to have a calendar or, or some sort of set of expectations, or again, hire somebody that can help you do that because you have to have that rhythm and what, what is the cadence of the project? And finally the workflow, like how, how is this going to work through your business? If you hire somebody like us, who has to approve it then what happens? Is there a need to be a designer? Who puts it on the website? Who puts it in the email system to go out, right? Because over my years, my dog years on the internet, what I've discovered also is that sometimes we'll have clients who will write them these beautiful articles and then they never get posted because the owner is still the bottleneck. And they're like, well, I just couldn't choose a picture or I just haven't had time to upload it to WordPress yet. And so they have this, you know, stack of articles that that there's still the bottleneck just because we don't upload it to WordPress, right? So having those things in place, you know, the brand voice so you can so we can help you out and create and create stuff that is in your brand voice, a calendar, marketing calendar of some kind, and then that workflow. How does this actually get out to the people? <laughs> Are the kind of fundamental things you need to have. 
Absolutely. And any bottleneck clients, send them my way. (laughs) I'll I'll help sort that (laughs) That out. (laughs) You unstopper the bottlenecks, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's it's such a common thing for all kinds of business owners to end up. I mean, look, I've been it. Like, that's one of the reasons I've been, you know, growing my team and, um, you know, and just really working very hard to make sure that, I'm not the bottleneck and, and we're, we're a good way there now. It's, you know, it, 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 it can take a bit of time, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh, but, sure but it's, you know, if you're aware of it, I think a lot of the time people don't even know that they're the bottleneck, but then they blame other people mm-hmm. for not having done things <laughs> or not getting results. Right. Yes. So that's, that's not a good idea. Not a good idea. Fantastic. Lacey, please share with people where they can find you. Sure. We are at LaceyBoggs.com. There's nine plus years of blog posts over there. You can go check out and see what we're about. And I hang out on Instagram and Facebook as well. Fantastic. Lacey, thank you for your time here today. I think it's been a really interesting conversation. Lovely to chat with you again. And thank you. You're you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, So yeah, make sure to check out Lacey. Her, Her content is very inspiring and funny as well so uh, (laughs) it's uh, always worth a read so uh, thank you for being here today and we will say bye for now my pleasure thank you that's all for today folks have you subscribed to get more of this juicy goodness for your business if not tap that button now remember to check the description for links mentioned in this episode did you enjoy and find value in this free broadcast i want you to know that i go so much deeper into the topics discussed with coaching and workshops based on my impact driven growth model Want to know how I can help you to double your profits without spending a penny more on marketing or ads? Let's arrange to hop on a call to discuss your goals and challenges and I'll show you how. Plus, when you book, I'll send you some free training videos too. Go book now at creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una. That's creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una.